Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Helen Schroer. Yes, we do. And Sarah and Helen geeked out about series and rap series. We did. So the uh, topic close to both of our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about how um, her seri- writing series has really helped her uh, in her writing career. Mm-hmm. And it was just, we really delved into writing a series. And also we talked about like how she's learned to love her own process. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So tell us what's been going on with you. You well, had this a week. week. Has been crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording this on Friday, uh-huh. the uh, 16th, and I launched the Kickstarter on Tuesday, the 13th. Right. And it's just done great. I'm just like, oh, it's so good. Done. I'm, so I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. yeah. But I'm just like, stunned like mm-hmm. right now it's over six thousand dollars which mm-hmm. is not i didn't know what to expect yeah you know? so i just yeah. like had like no expectations yeah right uh-huh. like i just hope it funds you know mm-hmm. and it's done great and i think yeah. a lot of that is it, i i'm one of the, an early mm-hmm. cozy author in there mm-hmm. and this is really weird to say because i'm not Usually, not an early, early adopter. <laughs> no, no, I'm not one of the first movers, but I think that there's something to be said for yeah. that. That may be part of it. Yeah, and uh, and then people have been so generous in sharing and helping me out. So yeah. I think yeah. that's a lot of it too. Yeah, yeah. I like yours because it's not like, um, I don't know if you want to do kind of a more. I'm not saying pared down, but it seems like you're not going to have to do just a ton of extra work. Yeah. When it finishes. And right. Stuff. And I, I like that part of it, you know, being yeah. a bit of a minimalist and a bit lazy myself. I <laughs> well, I feel some of the feedback, it was interesting because I sent the preview page to my list uh-huh. before it launched and asked for their feedback uh-huh. and people who were not familiar with Kickstarter. One of the comments I heard several times from people was, wow, it's so confusing. There's like oh, so much information. Okay. And, but the people who are used to Kickstarter, not a problem. No, they not at all. It, you know? yeah. mm-hmm. So it's just a different uh, experience. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've, I've tried to structure in a way so that the book is the main thing. The hardcover mm-hmm. is the main mm-hmm. thing. And then there's extra things if people want them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of, it's one of those oh, things that's great. kind of taken a life of its own. It's like, yeah. I feel like this is fantastic. And I'm just kind of along for the ride. So. I love it. I love it. I love it so yeah. much. Yeah. 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 On a, you were a guest on a podcast, weren't you? Yes. Well, I don't think it's aired yet, but okay. I did want to tell everybody about the author wheel and it is with Greta and Megan and it's fairly new. They've, they have worked together for years and mm-hmm. they're a little bit like us, a little bit mm-hmm. of opposites in the way they do things and how they publish. And um, they're going to be talking to like industry experts about things that can help authors and tools that help authors. And so um, basically their, their main question is what has been your biggest roadblock 
and mm. then we kind of explore that. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting. So that's on the podcast app. They have several episodes out and I'll link to it in show notes. Great. So, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, good for them. Good for them. Yeah. We yeah. need more writing podcasts for sure. Yes, there's always room for more writing yes, podcasts. There is. There absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about you? How's your week going? Uh, I've actually done some uh, admin stuff that I put off. Um, so that was good that I got that done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it kind of made me feel productive. And I was like, oh, this is good. Um, but other than that, I haven't done anything. I mean, it's more the same. Uh, with my sister it's just every day is a little bit harder and Mm. um yeah but then today she was hilarious with the tech who came to you know clean up get her clean and they were putting on a shirt that's probably totally inappropriate but it's hilarious she's uh she's a little bit out of it you know she's a little confused and uh the tech was trying to put her shirt on and she said okay here's the armhole and uh then she went oops I missed the hole, and Joni said, very out of it. That's what he said. And, <laughs> I mean, we all just fell apart. And so, you know, at least she's, she still got it. She still, she still got a sense of humor. Yeah. She's still her, very inappropriate, but very funny. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, it's hard, and uh, it gets harder every day. And uh, I've had some really nice comments uh, from people. And, you know, y'all, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I, if you're on here to listen to book stuff, we're going to get to the book stuff, but I just can't pretend like this isn't going on in my life. And um, you can always fast forward through this part if you want, but um, this is real life for me. And I'm always, I've always tried to be real with you guys. So um, this is part of it. So thanks for indulging me and listening to me and being on my side. I appreciate that. Yes. Very, very much. And we're all going to have things that are going to interrupt our normal writing schedule. Mm-hmm. So that's just part of yeah. life. Is yeah. These things are really sad and yeah. we all feel for you. And yeah. And anyway, so we but, will get um, on with the writing stuff. Yeah, the writing stuff and the <laughs> yeah. happy stuff and Helen. And um, I, I just, um, I'm, I'm excited to hear this interview. Yeah. So here's Helen. Mm-hmm. Well, today we're really excited to have Helen Schroer with us today. How are you, Helen? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, we're so excited to talk to you. Helen is a best-selling fantasy author. Her work has been highly praised for its strong, flawed female characters and its action-packed plots. Recently, she also delved into publishing advice for authors for their nonfiction book, How to Write a Successful Series, Writing Strategies for Authors. Helen's love of writing and books led her to pursue a Bachelor of Creative Writing and a Master's of Publishing. Now a full-time author, Helen lives in the midst of the mountains of New Zealand and is constantly dreaming up new stories. Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited to be here. I listen to you guys every week, so this is a real thrill for me. Oh, well, we're so happy to talk to you. And it's very cool that you've been a listener and you're so successful in your writing and now you've written a book for authors so we'll get to all that but let's start with how did you get into writing yeah sure so I'm one of those people who's always loved books and reading and since since a young age like my mum was an English teacher and one of the things that she was really encouraging of was me reading and she was one of those mums that if there was like a new release, like say it was a new Harry Potter book, she'd take me to the bookstore at 7am <laughs> to line up to yeah. get the book. I was allowed to 
skip like family lunches and stuff to <laughs> sit and read the books that had come out that day. So I think that really started to foster that, you know, love of books and reading. And I think since I was about seven, I've been writing, um, obviously very terrible stories at first. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the more I wrote, the more I wanted to write. And I, I always dreamed of, of having that book with my name on it on the bookshelf. Um, and yeah, I guess from from high school onwards, I was writing manuscripts, again, very terrible ones. Um <laughs> And then, yeah, when when the sort of question came, what do you want to be when you grow up and what do you want to study, the only thing I could really imagine doing was creative writing. So I um, I studied that at uni um, and uh, from there I wrote my first fantasy novel in 2017. Uh, well, it would have been written in 2016 and it came out in 2017 and it all just sort of snowballed from there. That really kick-started my career, I guess. Wow. Well, that's very interesting because we've talked to so many people, so many writers who, you know, their desire was to write, but then they do something else. You know, they're like, well, I, I'm not going to go to school for that. I'm not going to focus on that. I'll do something else and do that on the side. So um, did you have any pressure to do something else? It sounds like your family was a big family of readers, so <laughs> maybe not. Uh, well, my mom was a big reader. My my dad and my, my siblings, not so much. Um, However, mum's also very practical, so I think we definitely had some difficult conversations, you know, at, at age 18 when the uni <laughs> applications were due and she's like, why on earth do you want to study this? You're never going to get a job from this. And that was the main, um, the main problem yeah. with it was that, you know, there's no clear path with a creative writing degree and even if you do go on to write a book, you're not necessarily going to make a living right. from that book and that was made very clear to me both from family um, unit and also throughout the degree they were very clear about that like you're not going to make a living <laughs> from this um which exactly um so yeah it was it was interesting and um like I've, I've been asked a lot about whether the creative writing degree was worth it and then to go on and do a master's in publishing as well um, and I mean, I'm definitely not someone who thinks you need to do a creative writing degree in order to be a writer. That was just what was right for me at the time. I knew I wanted a university degree. Mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't really stomach the thought of studying anything else for three years. <laughs> so that, you know, that was that was where that um, yeah. came from. And, and also I was in a very privileged position where I was able to to go to university and able to get a loan and all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's been a, an interesting path, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I didn't major in creative writing, but I did major in English. And my kind of escape hatch answer to all those questions would be, well, I could always teach, which mm. technically I couldn't because I didn't get a teaching degree in English. I just got <laughs> yeah. a language and literature, but I probably could have made it work. But anyway, so yeah, it is always a challenge when you're at that point and having to make those decisions. So anyway, so I'm glad you proved them all wrong and you're doing <laughs> really <you>. well. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Well, what is your definition of success? Because it is a, it's so different from everyone. So what would your definition be? That's, I, I love this question because I think it it evolves throughout your, your whole career. I mean, if you mm -hmm. had have asked me at, at the start, I would have just yes. said to have a book published, um, right. to, to be an author full stop and not have any sort of, um, you know, other details about it. I just wanted to be an author. Um, right. 
But as so I've I've been a full-time author for nearly five years now. And as that sort of evolves and changes, right now I would say my definition of success is probably to make a comfortable living that is also just to be practical, good on paper for a bank. Yes. <laughs> because I'm, yeah. I'm at that at that age where I'd really love to buy a house that I don't have to then move every year. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I'm finding difficult is talking to banks about being a full-time fantasy author is uh, <laughs> a little like, tricky. does not compute, right? It doesn't sit it on the really, spreadsheet. <laughs> no, it does not. Um, so, yeah, to make a comfortable living that also looks good on paper to banks mm. and things. And one, that, one other detail I would add to that is that I'm not hustling 24-7 and that I'm able to take the time even even though this is still part of the job, to read and intellect and, mm-hmm. to, you know, ha- give my mind the space that it needs to breathe in between projects to um, when I'm outlining to take a step away and to, um, you know, be able to inject that creativity again. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've definitely been on full-on hustle mode mm-hmm. and I would like to get to a point where, I'm earning that comfortable living, but also it's not go, 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 go all the time. And mm-hmm. I have that sort of space to breathe. And right. I still, I, I want this to yeah. be my, my career long term. And I think that breathing space is important in that sustainability of that yes. career. Yeah. Yes, I completely agree. And I love the way you phrased it, that you need some space to breathe because, you know, we could, like we were talking about before we started recording, the to-do list never goes away. There's always something that could be done. But if you can have gaps and you're not always nose to the grindstone, I think that is a very important element. And I think that's what's missing for a lot of authors where a lot of authors are on the new release treadmill and they're like, you know, if they don't release, then they're in trouble. And so, yeah, I'm with right there with you. I think that's yeah. a really good goal to have. But you do have to do the hustle you know, to get going yeah. sometimes. So definitely, definitely. I think you've just got to be wary that you don't burn out because that is yes. horrible. Awful. <laughs> it's a horrible yeah. pit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you wish you knew about writing or craft? Um, so I don't know if this is craft in particular, but it's sort of, it's, it's process. Um, and it's very, very personal. So I wish that I had paid more attention to my own processes a lot earlier in my career mm-hmm. and what worked best for me rather than focusing on what everybody else was doing. So <laughs> this is this is actually a lesson I've learned more recently than anything else. And this is mm-hmm. five years in. Um, but I sort of tried to do the whole sprinting thing. I was like, everybody else is sprinting. Everyone's getting so much done. And like, and also there's a bit of a community to it. It's, yes. it's really cool. And so I, I wrote um, I wrote in sprints, 30-minute sprints, and it wasn't that I wasn't getting the words done. I was. But um, for those of you who know Clifton's strengths, my first strength is focus. <laughs> and what I was doing every time I wrote in a 30-minute sprint was breaking my focus. So I, I was putting this barrier up between me and my number one strength mm-hmm. and I think, you know, I, I learned to, um, I had I had a coaching call and the, the coach was like, why are you breaking your focus? <laughs> like this is, this is your one strength. This is what you should be doing. And since that call, 
I basically gave myself permission to write for as long as the focus was there. And that is the first thing that I do in the morning and I'll do the whole day just writing. And it doesn't have to be, I don't have to write X amount of words in 30 minutes, blah, blah, blah. I just Mm -hmm. sink into the story. And that has been such a huge learning point for me. And it only happened in the last like six months or so. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to change my entire production schedule I've been able to write so much faster I'm getting so much more done and I feel happier Mm -hmm. and if I had have like questioned that sooner rather than Mm -hmm. just trying to do what everybody else did I think I could have I could have a bigger backlist I could have been a lot more satisfied (laughs) earlier on yeah um so yeah that's that's been like a really interesting lesson to not only I guess question what everybody else is doing and whether or not that suits you um but also learning my own processes so like another example is I've recently realized that anytime I get beta reader feedback which is a big part of any book any book Mm so I'm I'm on my 10th book at the moment and every time I get beta reader feedback there is this emotional low and it's not because the feedback is terrible it's not it's not because of anything like that. It's just I have to have this moment where I go, wow, this is a lot of work I still need to do before the book is finished. <laughs> and I, yeah. I've realised I need to feel that. I need to push through it before I can sit back down and write. I need a little bit of space. Mm-hmm. And that's just something I've learnt through, like, throughout the however many years about my own process and my own approach to craft, I guess. So mm-hmm. it's not like I've, I've learnt something about about dialogue or I've learned something about yeah. story structure but it's more learning my own processes and my own craft and where to optimize where to pull mm-hmm. back and, and all that sort of stuff yeah that's great and I think that it takes us all a while to figure out what works best and I've done the same thing where I was like oh everybody has a street team so I need a street team or everybody's doing this I tried sprints and I didn't find them super helpful like some people have and it's funny that you don't hear people talking about, let's focus. <laughs> let's have a focus <laughs> club. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sprinting is very community oriented, you know, because you yeah. can do it in a group. So, but I think that's great. And it just takes a while, I think, sometimes to to figure it all out and to try different things. And I'm um, definitely. And I think like even once you've found something that works, maybe in a couple months or a year's time, you'll find something works better again or you, mm-hmm. you might have changed or mm-hmm. it might be a different book and you need a different process so yeah. I think you know throughout your career your processes and your approach to craft is always going to be evolving and changing yeah. and that's yes. what makes it interesting as well yeah it keeps us from getting bored and yeah we do all have like seasons that we go through like when I started writing I had little kids and so my writing time was necessarily limited and now my kids are not at home anymore so I have different different challenges and different things. So I think that's very true. So, yeah. Well, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? And I think you're very good at marketing. I've heard you on other podcasts talking about how you marketed <laughs> your first book. So what do you wish you'd known about marketing? Um, it's funny you saying I'm good at marketing. It doesn't feel that way. <laughs> it feels marketing to me a lot of the time feels just like chaos and like I, I, I'm not overly confident, but I just keep going. But <laughs> <laughs> with with marketing, I think what I've learned more recently is to do the market research before you write the book. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that sounds, that's a good point. So, 
it sounds so obvious, but it's not something I did with my first series. And I think I think I got quite lucky with my first series that I've I've read a lot in that genre anyway, and I think a lot of the tropes and the the structure and all of that came sort of naturally without me questioning why I was doing certain things. Um, but still, knowing a lot of that stuff would have made it much easier to market had I have done things a certain way from the beginning. And so with my second series, I was trying to be a lot more intentional intentional about tropes, about target market, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and still I missed the mark on some of the stuff. Um, and so now when I'm writing my third series, I'm trying to do that again and refine that process. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely... Now, before I write a word, before I outline or anything like that, I have my comp titles ready. I have um, a list of tropes I want to include. I'm aware of, you know, what point of view is popular in this genre, what tense, um, you know, how many books to a series is sort of the, you know, general um, general approach for, for other authors, what a reader's complaining about, what a reader's loving in this general um, genre. So I have all that information before I even start the book and also giving myself the time to do that in the process is a lesson that I've I've learned um and even though it's not it's not like you know do Facebook ads do Amazon ads I think this sort of groundwork with the marketing is way more important yeah. than I ever realized and that's become I've, I've really tried to now ingrain that in my process before I start any of the actual writing yeah. Well, so how long do you spend in kind of the prep time before you write doing the research on the market? And Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because the more, the more books you have out, the more books you're writing, you're also sort of juggling other projects and other stages of production. So I would say that my prep work probably starts long before I realize it in that mm -hmm. I'll be working on a different project but in my downtime, I'll be reading books in that genre. I'll be yeah. sending myself emails. I'll be, I've, I've usually got um, like a, an info dump folder on my computer that mm. whenever I get an idea for something um, or I see a really cool marketing strategy that another author is using, but it won't work for this book, but I might use mm -hmm. it further down the line. I have, yeah, just a document that I put all of that in. And so when it comes time to really start thinking about the project and brainstorming, outlining that sort of stage, then I already come to a document that, um, like I've just done this um, process recently, I came to open up my computer and I had an eight-page document of all these ideas that was then my starting point. So in terms of the market research and stuff, I would say that takes months, but it's not like I'm just doing that. I'm yeah. doing other things and it's sort right. of ticking away and like percolating in my mind. And then when it comes to uh, brainstorming and outlining, maybe two weeks. And again, that is still baking in those mm -hmm. marketing concepts and tropes and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to say really when yeah. you when you're juggling all the different yeah. elements. But um, I would say roughly about about that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it because I think as writers, we're always thinking about things. We're always, or I know I am. I'm always gathering yep. little bits of information and stuff. So it's hard, it is hard to break it out, but yeah, think, definitely. Yeah. Well, what about assumptions? Did you make any at the beginning of your writing career in um, looking back, were they right or wrong? 
<laughs> um, I made a lot of assumptions. <laughs> um, so the biggest one that I made that was definitely wrong was <laughs> I thought that the success of my first series would translate to the success of the second one. Mm. And I think I made that assumption mainly because at the time I wasn't involved in the indie community at all. I didn't really have any author friends. Um, I was just going it alone. And Mm -hmm. my first book came out in 2017 and by January 2018 I quit my job and it was just me in my office at home and not much (laughs) contact (laughs) with with the author community or anything and so I wasn't really exposed to a lot of the conversations that you know now I know like quite well going on in the different Facebook groups and the podcasts and everything um but yeah at the time I thought this is the trajectory I'm on now (laughs) and it doesn't work like that um (laughs) So that was that was a bit of a, a shock. The other one, um, and all of these are probably really obvious to people now, but, you know, back then I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was just publishing books and having a great time. Yeah. Um, but the, the second one was that when um, I published my first series, I did a bunch of short stories in between each release because I only did a book a year at that mm. point. And so in order to keep my readership engaged, I published, well, not published, I sent my um, my newsletter, these free short stories that were prequels to the main series. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the main series, like these stories were really popular with the newsletter subscribers. And I thought, well, like I've got half a book here if I put all these stories together. So I'll add, you know, seven or eight more to this and then make it a prequel collection. And this prequel collection will be my release for the year. And that'll tie me over, that'll buy me a year's worth of time to write the next thing and get ahead because what I was doing before was writing a book, publishing it, then writing the next one and publishing it. And I found that a bit stressful but also particularly with a series, it doesn't then give you the opportunity to, to layer in stuff earlier. Right, yeah. Um, and that's that's sometimes how I work. Um, and the, the assumption that a prequel collection would earn the same money that a full-length fantasy novel <laughs> um, had was massively wrong. And, you know, I, I didn't account for things like, you know, you can't add a prequel to your series page on Amazon, even something right. that small, you know. Right. I, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. And so that was I published that prequel collection in 2020 expecting that book to tie me over until 2021 and also uh-huh. it was the it was when the pandemic kicked off and all of that stuff yeah. um and yeah that that assumption was wrong um <laughs> so I, I i took i took a big hit in in 2020 like i still managed to to write full time but it was it was very demoralizing having made that mistake i guess and yeah. you know then I think when I then published my next full-length novel, it was it was I was sort of clawing my way out of this hole a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's some assumptions <laughs> I've made. <laughs> well, you said you know it seems obvious, but when you're in the middle of doing all of this and you're new to it, especially if you don't have the author community, mm-hmm. it's not obvious. And we've all got our assumptions and things that we thought that you know we look back and go wow that just really didn't work why did I think that was going to work 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Now yeah. I look back and I'm like, you were, what were you thinking? But, <laughs> but at, at the time, time yeah. 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 Well, we always like, we do like to talk about lessons learned and stuff. So have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? I mean, that's kind of a tough question sometimes, but. Yeah. I, I love this question. On podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, all my mistakes tend to just be mistakes. <laughs> uh, one of the things that it, it wasn't a mistake, um, but to me it felt like a very big risk at the mm. time. And, again, this is one of those things that now that I'm saying it, it sounds silly, but um, I in tw- I think it was 20, 2021. So I went from... Um, 2017 to 2021 without having much of a, an indie author community, without having mm-hmm. many indie author friends. Right. And I think it got to a point where the job, because I'm, you know, at home by myself working, it, it mm-hmm. got quite quite lonely, quite intense. And you you also miss the, the opportunity sometimes, you know, when you're working on a cover or you're working on an outline and you just want to turn to someone and be like, mm-hmm. what do you think of this? Is this stupid mm-hmm. or does this work or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I sort of reached my breaking point in 2021 where I was like, I, I need help. I need people. <laughs> and this, it felt like a really big risk at the time to start reaching out to people like, there were people whose podcasts I listened to, people whose books I'd read, people who I knew wrote in the same genre or I'd seen pop up in different Facebook groups. And it it felt really like needy and desperate to be emailing these people, these people being like, hi, I really love what you're doing. Um, do you want to be my friend? Or do you, <laughs> do you want to talk on your podcast or do this or do that? And honestly, I had such anxiety about, reaching out about yeah. coming across like a like a loser or like I was really desperate um and now some of those people are my best friends and I talk yeah. to them every day and I can't imagine doing this without them now mm-hmm. um so it wasn't obviously it wasn't a mistake but it at the time it felt like it could have been that mm-hmm. I was going to you know annoy someone or I was going to come across in a certain way that would then make me look bad publicly or you know all of those silly things that it's just me overthinking basically yeah um but then it turned out to to be the greatest thing because I've actually got a support network now um which I don't I don't know how I did it without one really (laughs) yeah and in the meantime the people that you're reaching out to are probably in that same boat or they have been in the past you know because I remember that too like uh, very first author I emailed, I had a question. I lived in a town where I didn't know any other writers and I sent her an email, I think, and she responded. And I remember just like the relief that, oh, she replied and she was nice. Mm-hmm. And it was not like she was, she was helpful, you know, and most people are, but it is kind of, you have to get over that hurdle and it can be, yeah, it can be it's, stressful. It's, it's scary. It's scary and it's stressful and it does feel like, it feels like a much bigger deal than it really is at the time. And I I had a similar experience where I reached out to, um, to my, who's now my friend, Sasha. Mm -hmm. And she, she, um, like I'd been listening to her podcast for ages and I just loved everything that she did. And I emailed her and said, I love your podcast. Um, I might be a good fit as a guest, but 
um, also, I just really love what you're doing and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I, I basically fangirl emailed her. <laughs> and she wrote back and she said, do you want to do a quick Zoom? And this was like, it just seemed really out of nowhere. It felt like a big risk talking to a stranger on a, on a Zoom call. I'm not <laughs> particularly outgoing. Yeah. Um, and we did that first Zoom call. We spoke for over an hour, I think, and it was just chatting about what we did. And I've talked to her every day since. So I think that risk was very well worth taking in the end. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's usually worth taking the risk. And if Jamie mm. were here, she would say, you guys are overthinking it. <laughs> you know, just do it. <laughs> I'm definitely an overthinker. Um, yeah, me too. As long as you get over the hurdle in the end, then it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what about um, like mindset changes you've had to make? What's the biggest mindset shift you've had to make during your time as a writer? Mm, I really love this question. Um, and it's funny because a lot of my answers are more recently learned lessons. Yeah. I think I'm That's through good, it. Yeah, I think I'm going through a, like a big sort of um, period of transition at the moment. And this mindset shift has really only happened in the last six months or so. And it's, it sound, again, sounds really simple, but it's all about prioritising the words. I think mm-hmm. it's really easy to get caught up in the marketing, in what we should be doing, in the admin, in responding to emails in a timely fashion and all this stuff. But yeah. at the end day, my job is to write books. And that for me should be my number one focus. And again, that's leaning into a strength of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I basically, I wake up in the morning, I make my cup of tea and I sit down and the, the first thing I do every morning is prioritizing the words, whether that's editing the manuscript, writing the manuscript, outlining, but it is fiction, it is production focused. And I have to do that before I respond to an email, before I jump on social media, um, because otherwise you can get sucked in to all these mm-hmm. other little things. And I, I then get frustrated. I then feel like the morning's gone. Yeah. I, you know, and so that's that's my biggest mind shift. It sounds really simple, but just I've got a big post-it note on my computer that says AM, production, always yeah. fiction first. And yeah. that that has made life so much easier it's made my job so much more enjoyable because I'm doing the thing that I love doing the most first morning and I've then been able to reassess my entire production schedule um I was previously writing one book a year and in 2022 I pub- well, I will have published three books mm-hmm. um so it's Again, it's always changing and evolving, mm-hmm. but that mindset shift of the priority is the words before anything else. And that sort of then puts into, um, I guess, context or not context, context, not the right word, um, but it puts into perspective that that email sitting in your inbox is not urgent. That response on social media isn't urgent. Nobody's yeah. going to notice you don't post on Instagram or you don't post on TikTok this one day. Like Mm -hmm. that can all come later, Mm -hmm. but your job is to write the words. At least that's how my approach to it. And that's sort of what's shifted in the last six months. And I'm writing more than I ever have. And I get a real kick out of that achievement as well. So it's energy fueling, um, gives me energy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's, I think, probably the biggest one. The, the other thing 
that I guess I'm sort of still wrapping my head around is there is sort of an interesting shift when you go from writing as a hobby in and around other things to then that being your career. Mm-hmm. And I'm really still kind of refining this at the moment, but trying to find other things that I enjoy <laughs> outside of writing because you need to have the break in and around your, right. your job. And I'm still struggling with that balance between shutting the computer at the end of the day and not continuing on with work and, and instead, you know, watching a movie with my partner, going to a winery, going out to dinner. Um, all my hobbies are eating and drinking, essentially. <laughs> I think those are um, great. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, so that's, I'm still working out that mindset shift is how to how to balance what was once a, a hobby and a passion is now a mm-hmm. career. So then how do you, how do you enjoy life in and around mm-hmm. that, if that makes so that's mm-hmm. I, I haven't got an answer for that one but that's just something that's been playing on my mind lately yeah I think that's a big question for all of us I know that because mm-hmm. I love writing and I love reading and so I love books and you know that's like my break but then that's also my work and it's like yeah. you do need something else and I think yeah it's a question that we all have <laughs> I don't think I don't think I've got a good answer for it either so <laughs> But um, so we did want to talk about your new book. So it's um, how to write a successful series, writing strategies for authors. Tell us how you came to write a nonfiction book. Um, so when did I start writing this? I can't. <laughs> must, have, <laughs> must have been last year. Um, so in 2021, um, I, I've, I've always loved the element of sharing experiences when you're an author, um, as particularly as I've gotten more involved in the indie community like everybody is very generous with their knowledge with their experience with their advice Mm -hmm. um and I've sort of kept a writing journal over the last couple of years where I've documented my Mm -hmm. process and Mm -hmm. mainly it's just ranting about how difficult (laughs) it can be or you know if I finish something there's a big you know celebration um but that's been a really interesting thing in again like looping back to what we were talking about at the beginning, learning that process and refining that process. Um, and so I sort of started to get the feeling that I would like to write a nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. Um, felt like I had some stuff to share. Um, and I kept coming back to the theme of like long-term strategies for success. And that is a really, really big topic. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wrote the book thinking it was long-term strategies for success. And um, my friend Sasha read the uh, very early draft of it and she was like, you know, this book is all about writing a series. And I was like, is it? And <laughs> You're so close to it, it's hard to tell, right? Yeah, exactly. And once she said that, I went, oh, yeah, it is. And I realised that everything that I talked about in the book came back to the fact that I'd written two series and that had set me up for, you know, success, if you want to call it that. Um, and, yeah, so once I then knew the angle of it, it I don't want to say it came really easily because, you know, it's still writing a book. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it made a lot more sense to me. And I realised I had a lot to say about writing a series and 
that writing the two series that I had had shaped a lot of my own learning processes and experience. And also I found that whenever I posted on either Instagram or I wrote something in my newsletter that was to do with writing a series or to do with author life, that got a lot of engagement and people really wanted to get that sort of behind the scenes look. So mm. with um, with the nonfiction book, I approached it after I knew the angle, I then looked through my author diaries and there were definitely lessons in that. So I, I took pieces from my author diaries and put them throughout um, the nonfiction book. Uh, and I, a lot of these questions actually that you've asked me today have been the basis for a lot of the lessons learned in, in the book because I, I try to be really open about mistakes I've made, about the lessons I've learned, about my experiences. Um, and it all just sort of came together in what became um, how to write a successful series. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's how to, but it's also um, like a, a quite personal thing that, that shares a lot of what I learned personally with the two series that, that I've wrote. And from what I've um, heard from people who've read it, that's the part they really enjoy is kind of getting that glimpse behind yeah. what works and doesn't work in a, like a really yeah. personal way. Yeah, yeah, the firsthand, yeah. Well, yeah, do you exactly. feel like, I mean, how to be long-term strategies and success, that's a big topic. So will you eventually come back to it? Will you write a series of books on long-term strategies? I'm just curious. <laughs> um, so I've got in mind... I'm definitely writing a non-fiction series. Um, so the next one will be a sort of follow-up to this one, which I'm thinking will be more about launching. So like marketing and publishing strategies, like what we've talked about, um, you know, in how to write a successful series, I talk about doing the marketing work as groundwork first. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll take some of that and then build upon that in terms of the publishing and the launching. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's the next one but there's definitely like I think I think that's where I'm going is with the long-term strategies mm -hmm. um yeah but yeah it, it is a big uh it is a big topic and with that initial initial draft Sasha said you know you've got about three books here and I was like oh <laughs> she always you, you think you've got one book and then she goes oh it's actually seven right <laughs> But that's good. <laughs> In the long term, that's good. It's a little overwhelming at first, though, probably. Definitely. Yeah. Well, um, so let's talk a little bit about like your process and how you uh, plan or write a series compared to maybe somebody who's a discovery writer. Because you said you interviewed some people in your book that were discovery writers, so you could kind of have both uh, sides. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so my personal approach is, well, now that I've refined it over a couple of series, I do the, the reading, the market research, all of that, try and like intellect on it. Um, and then I'll do some bigger brainstorming stuff. Mm -hmm. also I write fantasy. So, you know, there's yeah. a lot of world building. There's a lot of epic quests. It, it, anything I write tends to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> so there's... You, the listeners won't be able to see this, but you can see I've got these huge whiteboards behind me. Um, that's and they, just, look, they look quite complex. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because so, I'm actually at this stage right now where I'm um, outlining a new fantasy book. So it does, it feels like this um, just web of chaos basically. And it's me trying to wrangle it into an outline into 
coherent storylines and characters and all of that stuff. And I generally won't put pen to paper or hands to keyboard until I have a very tight outline because I find that once I start writing and I don't know what happens, then I stop and I get angry with myself and annoyed and um, (laughs) I just... My, I, I basically break that focus of writing because I've got to then come up with what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a very like strict outliner and that works very well for me personally. Um, and then once I've got the outline, I just go until it's done. And mm-hmm. that most recently, I um, after I had this coaching call where she told me to stop breaking my focus and I really committed to my own strengths and my own process, I wrote uh, 120,000 words in 22 working days, which wow. is the fastest I've ever done anything. And that was just so energizing to me. Like I, I was getting stuff done and it was all because I understood my own process and I'd committed to this outline and blah, blah, blah. Right. But when um, Sasha read the nonfiction draft, she was like, that's really cool, but not everyone's like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> up in my own, um, like, focus tunnel. Um, and she was really great and she told me that I should probably talk to some other discovery writers. And so I interviewed two quite prolific authors who are discovery writers and there's a whole chapter in how to write a successful series on their approaches because they were fantastic and really generous with their knowledge and their experiences. And um, I was really fascinated as someone who needs to see where they're going in order to write. I'm just like in awe of someone who can just sit down and write. And, uh, yeah, so I I chatted to both of them and they had some really interesting strategies. One of them, um, they almost sort of outline in real time. So when they're Mm -hmm. writing, one of them keeps like a wall of post-it notes Mm -hmm. and as they're writing, they'll finish a chapter and do like three dot points or whatever on a post-it note and put it on the wall so that then when they need to know what happens next or what thread to pick up in the series, they can look at the wall and go, okay, so that's how it all happened. I can take this from there and and run with it, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And the other thing that one of them did um, was while she didn't outline, she did brainstorm the big bad of her series, so the big villain, the big, the greater threat, and mm-hmm. how that would track across the series. And she she didn't, um, you know, do any like book by book, chapter by chapter, anything like that. She just needed to know the greater threat mm-hmm. and what that meant for the series. And mm-hmm. that was a really interesting um, part of her process as well. So I learned a lot from them. And, you know, it, it was really interesting to me because even though I'm definitely not a discovery writer, some of the things that they did I could take and put in my own process and, you know, vice versa. So there's always something to be learnt from whoever and you've just got to pick and choose, I guess, what suits you. Yes, I totally agree with that. And I'm with you. I like to know where I'm going and I'm in awe of people who just sit down and write. And I hear them say, you know, if they know where the story is going, it's boring and then they don't want to write it. Creativity, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very interesting. And I think that's very smart to include both perspectives because we don't all work the same way. So it's a good idea to have the the varying points of view. So Yeah, definitely. Another question that comes up a lot when we talk about series is um, how do you keep track of details? So how do you do that personally when you're writing a series? (laughs) Um, 
So this is another one of those lesson lesson learnt the hard way things. <laughs> yeah. um, so when I wrote my first series, The Oromi Chronicles, um, I just wrote it. I didn't keep track of anything. And keep in mind, these are big epic fantasy books. So they're um, over 100,000 words each, um, you know, an ensemble cast, a huge world, different types of magic, all that sort of stuff. And so I didn't, I didn't have a document that said anything about anything. And <laughs> it got to, it got to book three and I'd written myself into some corners and I was really frustrated and I had to have a big um, brainstorming session with one of my beta readers, just problem solving, problem mm-hmm. solving because <laughs> I'd, not that I'd been inconsistent, but, you know, characters were potentially places that they shouldn't have been and they needed to be somewhere else. But, you know, it took three weeks for them to get to point A to point B and that then became a problem. Um, So basically I I solved all that, but it was hard and it was, it made the process not enjoyable to me. And when it came to my second series, I was like, I am not doing that again. (laughs) And it started a series Bible and all that is, is just a word document. It's nothing fancy. I mean, anybody can use whatever they like. Um, but I just use a, a Google Doc that is easily searchable. Um, I have broken it down into subheadings. So I'll have, you know, things like um, magic system. I will have settings. I will have, you know, society hierarchy or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it, uh, the book needs. Mm-hmm. Um and the thing is, like, I think people assume that creating a serious Bible is going to be this extra huge bit of work on top of already writing a book. And the thing that I sort of say is that it just starts out as a blank page. And as you write and make decisions in your writing, you just pop it into the series Bible. So it can be something as small as this person has green eyes. And mm-hmm. I know that this character is going to be with us for seven books so I probably need to know that they've got green yeah. eyes and they will always have green eyes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll put that into the series Bible. Under cast, I'll have main character, green eyes, and yeah. keep going. Yeah. Um, and what I realised is that over the course of four books, which was my most recent series, that series Bible that started as just a blank page that I didn't sit down to write, to create, it grew and it grew and it became a 65-page document. And now whenever I'm writing, well, when I have been writing that series, um, it's pretty much finished now, but I can control, find whatever I need. Right. If I'm like, what did that setting look like? Who, who had this colour hair or who was this person related to? What book did this particular character get introduced in the series? Control, find, and the yeah. answer is there. And that honestly saves so much hassle and again, it also helps you maintain that consistency throughout the series because it's really hard to keep all that information in your head mm-hmm. over the course of three, four, five, yeah. however many books. Yeah. Um, and also the, the thing is, is that one of the other things I talk about in how to write a successful series is using the same literary universe, same world, like same world series, second generation, all, all those different things. And that is a strategy that I've used with my series is set them all in the same sort of megaverse, which right. means in my second series, I'll reference maybe a type of creature or a type of plant or a type of magic that happened in my first series. But I need to 
keep that consistency as well. Mm-hmm. And so not having a series Bible for that first series has really um, irked me a lot of time. <laughs> um, but having it for the second series, now that I'm writing the third series, which again is set in the same, you know, megaverse, and I'm, I love leaving little breadcrumbs for readers. They're not huge mm-hmm. plot points or anything, but a reference to a particular character or a reference to a particular event in history. Yeah. I love that. Um, and what I've found in writing my third series and having that series Bible for the second, God, it makes life easier. <laughs> Much easier. And yeah. I can just, and I can just control find it. And I don't have to read four hundred and twenty thousand word books to find this one detail that I need. Um, So keeping that series Bible has really, really helped keep things consistent and also keep me sane as an author. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's right. If you just start it and you just jot things down as you go, it just makes it so much easier. And it is a very intimidating, I think because it has the word Bible, you picture like this Mm. tome. And so it seems like, oh, it's too much work, you know, on top of actually writing the book. So, but if you just start it, you can keep it going. And then it will save you a lot of time later. I tend to use, um, I've used Trello lately where you can put images in because like, I'm very, I like to put the images in and then jot down things about the character or the place or whatever. Mm -hmm. I like it because it's visual, but then Mm -hmm. it's not, it is searchable, but not as searchable probably as a Google doc. So I think that's really good advice just to get started small and then keep going. So I had a quick question about your um, your outline. Um, mm-hmm. When you get, let's loop back to that for a second because I forgot to ask you this a while ago. Um, I think people will be curious about how long or how dense your outlines are before you start writing because you said it's pretty detailed, right? Yeah, they are pretty detailed. Um, so I, it's interesting because I what I'm writing right now uh, is a romance, a fantasy romance, and so mm-hmm. I'm using a different template to what I had been using previously so previously I always start with um it's Derek Murphy who does creative indie mm-hmm. he um has a one page novel outline template and I think it's 24 chapters and it has like a beat per chapter mm-hmm. and I always use that as a starting point I never like fully stuck to it but mm-hmm. you know when you when you sit down and you go, oh, my God, how do I even start this <laughs> enormous task? I always found his template to be really um, reassuring and just to give me that loose skeleton to start okay. with. Right. Um, I'm currently using um, Romancing the Beat. Um, that's Gwen Hayes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. So I've just, I, I love, I love her book and I love her template. But love it. Um, so I, I always start with a, a template to give me a skeleton. Otherwise, I sort of have this overwhelm, and I, I just sort of need to see it from a bird's eye mm-hmm. point of view before I can dig into it. So I start with with the main feet, right? And then I create my own spreadsheet off that, and I break it down into chapters, and I break it down into scenes, and that's where I'm at at the moment. And eventually I'll transfer that into a Word document, which I think, oh, I think the last outline, if you added all the words together, it was probably eight to 10,000 words, um, which seems like a lot, but, mm-hmm. you know, it helps It helps me write a 120-something. Yeah, I was going to say, compared to your word count, your final mm-hmm. word count, that's a smaller percentage than like exactly. somebody who writes a 
thirty or forty thousand word novel. So yeah, yeah. so, so yeah, they, it's quite detailed. Um, and it's quite. It feels like a big chunk of um, text, but yeah. it really it just it helps set me off on my way. Yeah. So, and I mean, some people might think, oh, that's those are just words that I could have put towards my word count total. But if yeah. it helps you get going, then that's the main thing, and it like gives you direction, exactly. right? Exactly. And I mean, most of most of what I do, so I'll break a chapter down into scenes, and the sentence that I've used, say, to describe a scene, that gets pasted into the book, and then I just build upon it. So mm-hmm. I don't. I would never say that it's like wasted words right. or anything like that. It helps build everything else. Right. So then how do you go, um, like if you start with a, a book one in a series, how much of the series do you know when you start book one? Do you have like a series outline or do you do it book by book? How do you do that? I generally have a rough idea of, of the series and the sort of beats of each book. Um, I definitely don't have the outline we just described, I don't have that per book in the series because that the thing is once you write that first book, things change. And that the, the exercise of writing that first book for the first time is also like a learning process for me. I'm getting to know the characters. I'm getting to know the world. I'm getting to know the general sort of feel of the book. And that then translates to the rest of the series. So I don't want to put too much effort into outlining books two, three, four, five, whatever. Right. Yeah. Before I have that better understanding of the world. And the other thing is, is that that draft, I then do a structural edit. I then do a read through. I then give it to beta readers. And the beta readers are a real key part of my process in questioning things that do or don't work in the world, questioning the development of the characters. And so I don't want to put in that time and energy into outlining the rest of the series before I know what's working in that first book because mm-hmm. the sort of general trajectory of a series is that you want to take what works in that first book and make it better in the second, make it bigger and continually raise the stakes, continually up the game sort of thing. So mm-hmm. if I don't make that first book the best it possibly can be, then the rest of the series is going to be no good. So I have a general sort of overview of the series. I know generally how it's going to end not necessarily everything that happens, but the one thing I always have when I start a series is the general feeling I want the reader to have when it ends. Mm-hmm. And that's usually sort of bittersweet, oh, my God, like I'm going to miss this series sort of thing. Right. And so that's, I guess that's generally how, how I approach it. Um, but all the while I'm writing and editing and going through the beta reader process of that book one, I have the outline for book two, three, four in a spreadsheet. And every time I get an idea, whether it's a piece of dialogue, whether it's a bigger plot point, whether it's the introduction of a new character, that just gets pasted into whatever book I think it's relevant at. So Mm -hmm. again, then I go to write book two or three. I'm not starting with a blank page. I have got, Mm -hmm. you know, general things there that I can play off, that I can build upon. So I think anything I can do to make, things easier for myself or to streamline the right. process production I I try and utilize that as much as possible yeah so it's like a, almost like a rolling document mm. like like you're yeah. thinking and working ahead as mm-hmm. you're working on whatever book you're working on which I think is yeah. really smart yeah yeah 
Yeah. Well, this has been so interesting and I always love to talk about series. So um, it's been great. But um, one thing we always like to ask everybody is, what do you think has been the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success? <laughs> um, writing a series. <laughs> <laughs> that was a softball. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, like, I don't think I realized it at the time. Like we've talked about how I didn't write you know necessarily with intention to to start mm -hmm. with and I I got lucky in that respect that I chose a genre that I was incredibly familiar with that I was really passionate about and that at the time was very popular and it had you know strong comp titles in that genre um but writing the series definitely set me up for success in a way that I I didn't I wasn't aware of at the time it's really only in hindsight that you know I wrote a very, you know, arguably successful first book in a series and then had books two, three, four, whatever, mm -hmm. ready. They weren't ready to go, but they were in the pipeline. And so there was that, you know, organic sell-on from that first book into the second. And I think had I have done a standalone after um, my first book, Heart of Miss, I don't think I would have had the success that I had because the, the audience was inbuilt and they were ready for book two. Um, so, yeah, while it wasn't necessarily intentional, that definitely set me up for, for success. <laughs> <laughs> it's a happy accident. One of those things yeah. that it's like you look back on and go, that was a good thing. So, yeah, yeah that's definitely. great. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to us today. And um, we'll have links to the book. Tell us your website and all that where, where I can find you. Um, so my website is just helenshoira.com, but you probably need to put a link for that with the... <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a link. Spelling of my name, yeah. Um, so helenshoira.com is my website. And if you go to helenshoira.com forward slash for authors, um, you can get like a cheat sheet and a volume of my author diaries and um, a successful series sort of bundle that goes with my book. Um, it's got like um, a bunch of cool downloadable things. Um, but other than that, I'm on Instagram and I'm trying my best at TikTok and I'm just telling <laughs> sure both of those. Okay. Well, we will have all those links in the show notes and you'll be able to find those at wishihadknownthenpodcast.com. And thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast and to Adriel Wiggins for doing the admin. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.